0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church
1: And that the best of intentions are no substitute for what is right and good and moral according to the Word of God. And that there is a right way and a wrong way and a right belief and a wrong belief. And for the young people it's to decide who they serve sometimes. You know we live in this postmodern age. You're going to serve God or the culture. You can't serve two masters. That's what the Bible says. You'll love one or you'll hate the other. You'll serve one or you'll be unfaithful to the other.
0: I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh nothing is impossible. All too often we talk a good game about our beliefs but then fail to live them out. And in doing so, we often miss opportunities to make a difference in the lives of others. Well, hello and welcome to Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. Pastor Keith continues with his teaching series entitled The Blueprint. On today's broadcast... We'll be hearing part 6 of our Blueprint series, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of James, chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Christian living requires spiritual warfare. That doesn't sound fun. Warfare. Christian living requires spiritual warfare. You see... There are two. We are stuck. We are on the ground in the battlefield, and there are two opposing armies: Satan and God. There is no neutrality. You can't make a peace treaty with Satan. You can't say, "Look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to step back here and let you two sort this thing out." No. You can't do that. That's why it says in our blueprint, in our statement of faith, with God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer, in Christ's name, we are to combat spiritual forces of evil. Because we are required to engage in spiritual warfare. We don't have a choice. You don't have to go looking for trouble as a believer. As a follower of Jesus Christ, who loves God and his neighbor, you don't have to look for trouble. Trouble will find you. Because we are out of step with the culture in every major so-called moral issue. Or it really is culture out of step with God. I think that's probably the problem. But the bottom line is you're a reminder of it. And in the, in the great spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians 6, we read this in Ephesians 6, 10 through uh, 13. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm just going to touch on some key ideas here. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. What you have here are a series of commands. Be strong, put on, take up. Stand firm, so that you may be able to stand. That's obedience. That's a commitment to spiritual warfare. Because the warfare is inevitable. It's coming to a theater of operations near you. You have no choice. Satan takes no prisoners. There is no neutrality. And we can't help but fight if we follow Christ. And in the words of Yoda, fight you must. Okay? We are compelled to do so by circumstance and because the enemy will not let us not join him. We either stand with God or we stand against God. So you have to be prepared to live out and act upon your beliefs. That's waging war. You see it in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, here's the problem. We tend to think of spiritual warfare always in the most extreme supernatural sense. We talked about this last week with our discussion of the Holy Spirit. Human beings are people of extremes and you have one extreme over here and one extreme over there. But where we want to be is in the biblical center. We want to be centered and balanced on the Word of God. And as you look at this put on the whole armor of God... And it talks about the belt, you know, the, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith. And it talks about taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying at all times in the Spirit. What we see here is something a little more subtle sometimes than we might normally notice. Because it's not just people levitating and... Their heads spinning and their eyes rolling back in their head, and it's not just, you know, lev- all these hyper, hyper supernatural things. It's far more subtle than that. It might be that in, in certain contexts and remote places in the world, but mostly, it's the battlefield of the mind. Your mind is the battlefield, and way too often we, and particularly our younger uh, family members, are. Younger people find themselves evangelized and proselytized by the culture. And you look at that word, the schemes of the devil, it speaks to methods. And and when you look at the semantic range of that word, it speaks to almost philosophies and ideas. You see, most of the culture war, most of spiritual warfare, probably 98% is all about ideas. If somebody walked in the room and started tossing people around and their eyes roll back in their head and they started talking in a funny voice you'd probably figure this wasn't a normal manifestation of a Christian living out his life right the fact of the matter is demonic possession in the supernatural realm is probably a one in a million occurrence now it certainly gets the forefront But the most effective means of spiritual warfare is subtle. Satan has convinced our society that he doesn't exist. He has seized the institutions at some level of government, education, media, and our people, our children, our young people, us, are being inundated with ideas about sexuality, about marriage, about abortion, about pluralism that you know it's not really it's not really nice to say that there's only one way, one truth and one way to heaven. That's really not it's really not nice. It's not it's not tolerant. And we're taught to be tolerant of everything and the society is tolerant of everything and everyone often except the Christian faith. And we're made to feel uncomfortable. We're made to almost be embarrassed. That's spiritual warfare. Look at those instruments. Look at the armor of God. The helmet of salvation, what does it protect? Your head. The breastplate of righteousness, what does it protect? Your heart. The gospel of preparation, that grounds you in your faith. The belt of truth, which girds you up, supports you. You're supported by what? Truth. And the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon, is the Word of God. It's not protests necessarily, it's not boycotts necessarily. It's, it is written, it is written, it is written. And when you say it is written, what are you doing? You're weighing the truth, the truth claims and the philosophies and the traditions of this world in the scales of the Scriptures. You're evaluating ethics through the lens of the Word of God. You're passing all these customs and all these things that are being imposed on us through a sieve that is the sword of the Holy Spirit. Every time the culture floats a trial balloon, we stick that balloon with the sword of the Spirit, and it bursts most of the time. This is spiritual warfare. That's why Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians, see to it that no one takes. Now, do you see how this, these passages fit neatly into our worship service and how they fit n- neatly into our statement of faith? We believe that the Holy Spirit and all that He does glorify. So, when we're told, you know, who, you know, who are we to judge? Well, we don't judge. Scripture does. And the Scriptures say, you shall not steal means you shall not steal, even if you're poor. Or, you shall not. Calling sick because it's your son or daughter's graduation. I mean, you know, we're not to bear false witness, we're not to steal, we're not to take what belongs to us, and there is no such thing as a situational ethic. It's okay to do this because it works. But ultimately, in matters of uh, spirituality, in matters of everything that we do, Christian living, God's Word is our final authority, and unless there is a distinct prohibition Or a distinct command, we have to be careful, but at the same time, we don't want to be so careful, so removed that, well, who am I to hold this standard? Spiritual warfare, you have to be willing to wage war. That means training up our young people to understand that there is such a thing as objective truth, and that all opinions aren't created equal. And that the best of intentions are no substitute for what is right and good and moral according to the word of God. And that there is a right way and a wrong way and a right belief and a wrong belief. And for the young people, it's to decide who they serve sometimes. You know, we live in this postmodern age. You're going to serve God or the culture. You can't serve two masters. That's what the Bible says. You'll love one or you'll hate the other. You'll serve one or you'll be unfaithful to the other. And so this is it, spiritual warfare, battlefield mind. You need the coverage of the armor of God. Every area needs to be covered. Your head, your heart, on what you stand, and on your source of authority and wisdom and knowledge, and that must be the Word of God. But mostly, it's the battlefield of the mind. Your mind is the battlefield. It's not a battle, that we can win in our own strength, we are aided and abetted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are guided by the Word of God. We are kept by the power of Christ manifested in us. And we are secure in God's sovereignty. And that's why in James 4, 7 through 8, we we read this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. you got to serve somebody. There is no neutrality. You either serve God or you serve Satan. And therefore, you have to be willing, ready, willing, and able to engage in spiritual warfare. Don't fall into the cultural trap of being evangelized by the culture when you think you are following Christ. There is no neutrality. There's no neutrality in spiritual warfare. There's no neutrality in a soccer game or in a Sharks game. You're either for the Sharks or the bad guys. Okay. <laughs> Fighting disease. You either are for the disease or you're for wellness. And in spiritual warfare, you've really got to choose. You're either with God or against Him. There's, you either take the gospel as directed and administer it as prescribed and live it as described in the Word of God. That's our prescription. Spiritual warfare. You've already been drafted if you're a Christian. You have no option but to fight. The third requirement, requirement number three, is this. And it goes hand in hand with having a visible, not a concealed faith. It goes hand in hand with the requirement of spiritual warfare. And their third requirement is this. A person holds beliefs but convictions hold the person and Christian living requires tangible obedience to God's word. Tangible means observable, sensible, touchable, feelable, smellable, tasteable, perceivable obedience to God's word. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples of all nations, all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and in deed. Where do we see that? We see that in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is Jesus before his, uh, this is after his resurrection and before his ascension. And he comes to his disciples and what does he tell them? And Jesus came to them and said to them, in person, and us here through the pages of Scripture, that he is our ultimate authority. And it doesn't mean that there are people who say, well, I follow Jesus, not the Bible. Can't do that. Doesn't work that way. Can't be done. Okay? And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Tell everybody about me in word and in deed. And then he says, teach them to obey because obedience is, is the first, uh, baptism is the first act of obedience after salvation. If you are an obedient Christian, you are a baptized Christian. It's not optional. These are all commands here. The Great Commission, the Great Commands. And then what does he say? Teach them to do the best they can. No, it doesn't say it. It says, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Genesis to Revelation is all that God has commanded us, and Jesus is God. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We talked about this last week. We have not been left as orphans. Christ will return to us. In the meantime, we have the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth, who will bring to remembrance all that God has taught us, all that Christ has taught us. Implicit and explicit in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is obedience. Make disciples, baptize them when they are saved, and train them to live the way that I have prescribed, the way that I have commanded. And that's why elsewhere in Luke 6.46, we read this, 6.46 and 47. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word does them, and I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock, and when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, does not obey, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was was great. Obedience. To ignore God, to ignore Christ, is foolish. To obey Him is wise. And if you call Him Lord, if you call Him God, if you call Him Savior, then you'll do what He's commanded. It's a requirement of being a Christian. It's not legalism. Certainly not cheap grace. Grace is very costly. In fact, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Christian living requires real or tangible obedience because your actions and my actions, our actions, speak as loudly as our words. People know that we take Christ seriously if we live for him faithfully, if we live for him obediently, if we live for him by engaging in the culture and spiritual warfare, if we have a tangible, visible faith. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission and be part of the salvation of others if we do not obey. We cannot go and make disciples if we refuse to follow Christ. And if we trust and love and serve God then we will obey. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Obedience is an indication that we have trusted Christ. We honestly believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, God the Son, came to seek and serve that which was lost. And Because we believe that, that belief governs our actions. And we obey his commands because we take our God, and our faith, seriously. So, visible faith, spiritual warfare, tangible obedience. What do you do with all that? How do you take this teaching here and take it out those doors, into that parking lot, and into the surrounding community? What do you need to be doing to make that happen? Well, I think, since this is Communion Sunday... I'm going to leave the nuts and bolts, logistical, mechanical, blocking and tackling application of that to you in the very contexts in which you live and serve. But I will leave you with some questions for communion, because we're getting ready to have communion. We're getting ready to approach the Lord's table with a sense of joy and thanksgiving and self-examination. So let's talk about visible faith. I want you to talk to God today during communion and ask the Spirit, to answer this question for you in your own heart. Am I an invisible Christian or am I a visible Christian? And as far as spiritual warfare, Holy Spirit, reveal to me through your word whether I am a cultural convert. Have I bought in to philosophies and traditions of men rather than into Christ? And third, tangible obedience. Am I characterized, O oh God, by obeying your word, by following God's word? Because the bottom line is this. You cannot enjoy a relationship with God, a satisfying relationship with God, and reach others for, the, for their own good without living out your faith in a real and tangible way. And I think these three requirements need to become your and my three daily commitments each and every day when we get up out of bed and say, God, I want to live for you visibly, I want to fight for you intelligently, and I want to obey you faithfully. With having a visible, not a concealed faith, it goes hand in hand with the requirement of spiritual warfare. And the third requirement is this. A person holds beliefs but convictions hold the person and Christian living requires tangible obedience to God's word. Tangible means observable, sensible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true. Lord, use your word to be Help us to discern the intentions of our hearts and our commitment to you. Lord, we were we were we were saved to serve. We were left behind after we embraced Christ so that we could be living testimonies that so let our light shine before this world that they see our good works and bring glory to God who is in heaven. Help us, O oh God, to understand and embrace Christian living, Lord, to run, Lord, like a bird flies, Lord, to swim like a fish, Lord, to gallop like a horse, uh, Father, to to live out our purpose to know that not every day is going to be a perfect day but every day is going to be an opportunity to get up and get out there and live out our faith with a purpose
0: Pastor Keith Crosby